I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everyone. Michael Anthony here. Van Halen, Chickenfoot, Sammy in the Circle. But anyway, you're listening to the only podcast that is dedicated to breaking down the entire Van Halen catalog one track at a time. And the podcast will rock. Ow! Hello, baby! What is up, all you rockers, rockets, and everything in between? Thank you for joining us for a new edition of And the Podcast Will Rock. Welcome back to the show, everybody. If you're new to the show, you just stumbled upon us. Well, welcome. Thank you. And let me tell you about what we do. We are the show that dives into the catalog and discography of one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time, Van Halen. And we do it one track at a time. And we're nearing the end, ladies and gents. Uh, it's, uh, ooh, I don't even want to think about it. So we're not going to think about that. Instead, we're just going to have uh, just a kick-ass, fun, special, unique show. But I can't do it by myself. I, your co-host, Mark Kamire, with me, as always, Corey Morissette. Corey, how are you feeling tonight? You know, I'm feeling all right. I was going through uh, Podcast Will Rock Withdrawals uh, over the weekend because <laughs> uh, we, we released the uh, shows the last couple of weeks, but they were from the live show, just uh, kind of. Yeah into two different episodes so you and i actually haven't got together and recorded a show in a few weeks here so i i, yeah, I kind of missed right. you mark what have you been up to oh <laughs> i miss you too man but uh sometimes uh it's good that we have these live shows where we can actually kind of you know take a breather uh a week and uh we needed a breather um i myself was busy these past couple of weeks uh for a couple of gigs uh singing some uh some familiar tunes from the 80s and uh for both shows actually so I can um, for all of you that were in the know, I can tell you based on everything I heard that night, painkiller went off uh, in spades. So uh, we, yes. we did. It was all good. Uh, I, I did not crack. Um, I, <laughs> I did the thing. Um, I think in my heart of hearts, I think I made Rob Halford very proud. So uh, thank you to all the encouraging words to all of you out there and uh, your support. Um, I needed it. I've never stressed out about doing a performance so hard in my life, uh, but I'm glad it went over. Um, and then by that point, when I did Dream Warriors by Dokken, it was a piece of cake. So you know, if you can get through Painkiller, you can get through anything. So that that and uh, uh, babies or pet sitting, a, uh, we're f- sort of fostering a third cat. And he's sort of uh, throwing a wrench into everything because our cats do not like him. And it's it's been a pain in the ass. And uh, we're trying to maintain sanity here. So that's what's been going on with me. How about you? I tell you what, I've been uh, busy, busy working uh, this month producing uh, live telethons. The only thing that's gotten me through, actually, sitting in my hotel room uh, during the brief breaks I had producing this telethon was a book that mm-hmm. I was reading and a book that we were going to talk about tonight and we are very very fortunate to have the author 
of that book on the show. Mark, why don't you let the folks know who we got joining us here tonight? That's right. We uh, uh, What a book indeed. From uh, the author that brought you Tone Chaser, Understanding Edward, my 26-year journey with Edward Van Halen. Please welcome to the show, Steve Rosen. Steve, hello. Welcome. Hello. Hello, guys. How are you doing? We're doing great. It's a real, real pleasure to have you here. Uh, Maybe tell us uh, where folks can find your book. Absolutely. So you can find it on my website. Very simple. Tonechaserbook.com. One word. You can also find it on Amazon eBay, Reverb, and Etsy. And please, after you've read the book, go back to Amazon and leave a review for me, okay? That would be fantastic. What what a, what a fantastic book. Like, uh, automatically off the bat, if you're expecting, like, uh, I know it was originally, and I want you to get you to talk about that right off the hop, it was originally going to be the official autobiography of Edward Van Halen. It turned into something much more in that you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're not talking about uh, his technique uh, ad nauseum or the albums or the tours. You're just talking about your friend, which really makes this such an interesting account. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and about how you got to meet Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Okay, um, so uh, it's 1977, June of 1977. I had been writing for about four years at that point. Um, uh, I was writing uh, regularly for guitar player. Uh, so I had done a bunch of, you know, big stories for them. By the time I met Edward, I'd, um, uh, there was a Jeff Beck cover. There was a John McLaughlin cover. Uh, there was a John Entwistle cover. So before I met Edward, I'd, I'd done, you know, a lot of, I, I think I describe it in the book as heavy literary lifting. I, I had met a lot of, of, of very cool, amazing guitar players. So it's a, it's a Friday night, uh, June 77. I'm at the Whiskey with, some, with my brother. We're there to see a Cheap Trick record a live record. And um, Michelle Meyer who is the girl who booked the whiskey and, and someone I had been friends with. Uh, I had played in a band and, and she kindly had booked me into some of these other clubs that she was, that she uh, was booking. And so I, I, I owed her and, and, you know, I, I love Michelle. Um, and on top of that, she was, um, and I describe her in the very kindest way as, as a Yenta. She, uh, she knew everything that was worth knowing, uh, you know, that was going on musically. She knew I was a big guitar guy. I was writing for guitar, guitar mags. So I'm there at the whiskey. Where I'm downstairs waiting for Cheap Trick to come on. She says, come upstairs. There's somebody you have to meet. So I walk upstairs into one of these, uh, you know, pit of hell, you know, whiskey dressing rooms, you know, cigarette smoke and there's trash all around, you know. I mean, it's rock and roll, right? And yeah. um, uh, I, I see this guy standing in the corner. Now, you have to understand, this is 1977. Uh, there haven't been any interviews written about Edward, no stories or no, you know, photograph arrays, right? There's no internet, you know, there's no million pictures of Edward Van Halen. Um, I'm pretty sure I had seen flyers uh, of Van Halen, and, I, and I'm pretty sure I recognized him, but it's possibly possible I, I didn't. Um, the thing is, I had never seen Van Halen play live. So I'm just meeting this guy. Um, this, this Edward Van Halen, I knew that they had scored a deal on Warner brothers, uh, which blew me away. Um, I thought, well, my God, they have to be an amazing band to get a deal on Warner brothers. So 
Michelle walks me and my brother over and, you know, we shake hands and we start talking and, and I don't know how it come, comes up, you know, but, but Eric Clapton comes up, you know, and I was a monster Clapton fan. I mean, I love cream and, you know, the male stuff and, you know, going back to the rooster days and his early, early blue stuff. I mean, I, I knew a lot about Eric Clapton. And um, so obviously not knowing it, you know, Clapton was one of Ed's guys. And so we start talking about Clapton and he starts talking about cream and, there's just this immediate connection made, you know, it's like when you meet that person and it, it feels like you're engaging in a conversation that sort of began a long time ago and now you're just catching up to it. And, and that's what it felt like. Um, we started talking about Blackmore, you know, and again, I was a monster Blackmore fan. Uh, Jeff Beck came up. I mean, these are all guys that I loved, you know, and I, I was a bit of a snob. I was a bit of an elitist, I must admit. Because I'd listened so much to Purple and Richie and, you know, Clapton and Cream, and I knew everything that Jeff did, you know, and the, you know, the Rod Stewart records and going prior to that, you know, the Trident records and all those little pickup bands. He was, I mean, I knew a lot about those guitar players. So if I was talking to somebody and they made a comment about an artist, you know, if they made a comment, you know, if the subject was uh, Eric Clapton, they said, you know, some comment about, oh, Eric Clapton, you know, double tracks his solos or some thing that I thought was beneath me. I go, dude, you don't know anything about Eric Clapton. I can't talk to you. You know, it's like this <laughs> elitist thing in me. It's like, you don't know shit. Why are you talking to me? The thing with Edward was, I don't think Ed understood or, or, or knew the chronology of those guys, but Ed had this way deeper understanding than I did of, of these guys as musicians, as, as guitar players and talking about, you know, um, uh, Clapton's vibrato bar, you know, a that staccato neoclassical thing he did. And, mm-hmm. you know, Edward's finger tremolo and just the tone. I mean, his, his was like, you know, I, I had to run as fast as I could to keep up with him. I mean, his insights were amazing. At the end of the conversation, he runs out of the room, you know, and I'm kind of standing there and he, comes back and he's got a pencil or a pen and picks up some some scrap of paper off the floor and writes down, you know, this, I don't, I'm not sure what he's writing, he hands it to me and I see it's his phone number. He goes, hey man, you know, this, you know, I like talking to you. Um, you know, call me. I, I hope we meet again. And that's the first time I met Edward Van Halen. And it, you know, it was just an, an amazing conversation and it felt comfortable. And um, honestly, I, I never knew if I, would would run into him again. Look, I knew he was on Warner's and I was interviewing, you know, all those Warner bands, you know, the Beach Boys and Sabbath and, uh, you know, Captain Beefheart. I mean, all these bands that I loved. I mean, I was interviewing them. So chances were I've, I was probably going to interview him again at some point. But, you know, the, the friendship part of it, I mean, you know, if I'm not there that night, I mean, who knows? Um, you know, I mean, do, do things happen for reasons? I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. That's pretty remarkable. I like to believe they do. Yeah. I do too. I would absolutely. too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, like, look where we're at right now. It's like you, you wrote the book about it, your, your relationship with, with Edward. And it's like, of course things happen for a reason because this exists. This, this right here was the reason why you were at the whiskey that night. Well, you know, Mark, I mean, I'm not one of these crystal gazers and, and that type of thing, you know, and, and I don't know about <laughs> destiny, but, but the thing is, I mean, I could have been there that night 
And I could have been just, um, you know, maybe I was just a guitar player in a band or I was, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, you know, I, I worked in a bank or, or I was a mailman or something, you know, um, you know, but I think it was really the fact that, that I was a journalist, you know, and I was a writer and I did have an affinity and I understood guitar players. I'm not saying I ever played like any of those guys, but I understood guitar players. I understood that mentality. I was a songwriter. I understood, you know, the, the, the process of writing a song and harmony and chord changes and that kind of thing. And I was able to talk to these guitar players on that level. And I think Edward responded to that. So, yes, you know, I was there that night. I was a journalist. I was someone he could speak to. So, you know, yes, what comes out of it is is his book. And, yeah, man, maybe the, 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 the confluence of the uh, of the stars, you know, did come together mm-hmm. for a reason. I mean, like you said, man, I, I would like to think so for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, well, even uh, if it's not, we're just going to pretend that it is because now we go. have this, this wonderful thing. Um, it's funny. Yeah, I'm just I was over here laughing because you, you mentioned the uh, the elitism uh in our younger days and it's like oh boy you're calling me out real 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 loud over here (laughs) i think i think it's like an unwritten rule that if you're young and you're uh uh big into like hard rock and we'll even say heavy metal metal especially i think that elitism sort of just like somehow grows within you and just kind of becomes part of you until finally you just eventually you grow up and go, okay, this is stupid. Or maybe you have someone, uh, and I'm not saying like Eddie did this for you, but like maybe someone comes around and go, Hey, uh, lighten up. Or it's just like, you know, you can listen to other things too. Like, how do you think we get inspired to do all this stuff? And it's like, yeah. Oh, well, you're right. It's a spectrum, but, exactly. uh, or, or but yeah, yeah. Or- it's like, are running into somebody who knows more than you do about Eric Clapton. Exactly. Well, I never have. Yes. So I'm the guy. No, I'm kidding, but I, I know what you're saying. You know. Um, Would you say that uh, uh, you knew you knew more about Clapton than than Eddie? Not really. I mean, you know, I I, I, I did you know I didn't know a tenth of what Edward understood about the those guys as players. You know, I, I, my my mind didn't work like that. But I knew more about. <laughs> I knew more about pre-cream than Ed did. I, that much I know. Ah, there you go. So, <laughs> but it's go. good. Like it's a humble, humbly admitting when it's just like, yeah, I can admit it now. And it's like, no, he knew more about Clapton, but I knew more about cream. And it's like, that's a fair compromise. I think, um, it seems like, uh, that's not the first time, uh, we've heard about, heard stories about, uh, Eddie kind of getting like, uh, for lack of a better phrase, nerding out on, uh, on guitar, uh, uh, stuff and sort of just like the as you say the understanding of the uh the the playability would you say like he was just like a really huge guitar nerd you know i mean in some ways he was and in some ways he wasn't and i talk about this in the book so you you know so uh, you know it's pretty common knowledge you know so pre um, Van Halen signing a deal and, and moving into the whiskey and, and the Starwood and playing originals, you know, they're playing cover songs from everybody. The aforementioned Cream, they're doing uh, Purple, uh, you know, ZZ Top, Grand Funk, uh, Spirit. Uh, they did a James Brown song because they had to do more dance stuff when they were doing the Zaris, which was kind of like a dance club on the strip. <laughs> um, so he was sort of, you know, um, subconsciously absorbing all these influences but he he never it's not like we would sit down and he'd go man you know i love um 
you know, I love Randy California and I love Paul Kossoff and I love Robin Trump. We never had those conversations. And in fact, I don't think he even knew about a lot of those guys. He's over at my house. Um, I, I live about 10 minutes away from Edward up in the Hollywood Hills. He lives in a big house. I live in a very small house. And, and he's over. And I had a huge record collection. Before I started writing, I had a big, big record collection. After I started writing, you get put on the mailing list for all the labels. So I was receiving every release from all these labels monthly. So I had a huge, huge record collection. So I remember one time Ed was, was over and he knew about my collection. And there, it was kind of like down in a bedroom. The bedroom was like a little sunken. It was kind of like a little hobbit cave, you know, um, mm -hmm. really dark and, you know, fungus growing on the walls. Not really. So, so we go down there and he looks at the records. And I start pulling out records because I thought that he might be interested in hearing them. So, you know, I was just pulling stuff out. So I pulled stuff out by, um, you know, I had like Larry Carlton records. And I had uh, records by Les Paul, um, uh, Steely Dan, um, um, uh, uh, some prog bands, um, you know, because he was a big prog guy, but, but more obscure bands, Coliseum. Um, soft machine. And I, I honestly don't believe he'd ever heard of any of those bands. Um, I mean, look, he, he knew the Steely Dan, the big hits, but I don't think, I don't think his knowledge went, went deeper than that. Um, in answer to your question, was Ed a guitar nerd? I, I, I don't, I don't really think so. I don't think he listened to a lot of music other than in the early days when he had to listen to a, you know, ZZ Top song to learn the song and then interpret it, interpret it in the in, in the unique way that he would. But we never had discussions, and I wish we did. I, I, I wish I had talked to him more about this, you know, about, you know, what other guitar players did he like? I mean, we all know about Richie and, you know, Jeff Beck peripherally. Um, you know, some people say he hated Hendrix. You know, some people say he, he loved Hendrix. I never asked him about Jimi Hendrix. Um, hmm. You know, we know about Clapton, we know about Alan Holdsworth. But I, I don't I don't really know how well he knew Paul Kossoff. I'm sure he knew all right now, but I don't know if he went deeper into the into the into Free's catalog, you know, or, or Robin Trower, you know, with Procol Harum or Martin Barr with Jethro Tull. I mean, um, he probably knew Aqualung and that kind of thing. But I don't know if he knew like the earlier records. Um, you know, it was a discussion I wish I had. So no, I don't think Ed was a guitar nerd in that way. I don't think he was constantly listening to stuff, you know, to find new ideas and, and new things to play. Um, and in fact, I was 99.9% .9 positive. He never listened to one of those records I gave him. And I'm talking about like a serious stack. And he also never gave me my albums back. <laughs> you made me mad. No, well, maybe that answers your question. It's like you don't think he listened to much stuff. It's like, well, he took your record, so he's probably he was probably listening to those at least. Maybe you, you know. Uh, I just always thought, well, my God, how cool would it be if he heard a, um, you know, a, a, an early Super Trump record, and yeah. it, it, it it touched something in him. You know, because a record like that would have moved Edward. I mean, he would have heard something in it, you know? And I, that's, those are the types of records I've tried to pull out for him, you know? Um, mm -hmm. He had never heard of Les Paul. Years later, I would introduce him to Les Paul. He subsequently learned about Les from Don Landy, uh, the Van, Van Halen's engineer, who knew all about Les. You know, Don was a 
I mean, a tech nerd, you know, of the nth degree. I mean, you know, Don was into the recording thing and into tape, and he knew all about less and multi-tracking and all that stuff. So he was teaching Edward. But yeah, Ed, Ed, Ed didn't uh, didn't know about that stuff. So hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I I wish I could have spoken to him more about about influences and other guitar players. I thought he should have heard, you know. Well, maybe right. he did that uh, intentionally. Maybe he didn't. Uh... Or, or maybe he kind of separated the two like he wanted maybe he wanted to focus on his own art his own uh guitar playing and f figure things out for himself without feeling like somebody else's influence like maybe maybe that to him might have felt disingenuous in some way mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know these are these are the the questions uh that i that i have and you know i would always i'll always have because i'll never get those answers unfortunately but um, that is, it is interesting though. And I love yeah. the idea that he's just like, I don't listen to much stuff and he just like steals your records and that's what he's listening exactly. to. In secret. <laughs> Go ahead. Corey. But, uh, 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 Steve, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, we were talking about guitar nerds. I wanted to ask you about this picture. Uh, uh to me, that looks, look that, that. that looks like a good, yeah. And the, the mustache is amazing. I wanted to ask you about your hair though, man, that, <laughs> your, your perm game is super strong there, my friend. Yeah. You know, I, I never realized I, I had a perm. I remember driving, uh, to the airport, I, I I came, I came to the show. I can't remember who, and and they went, oh yeah, you got the you got the the Jufro thing going. I go, I, I indeed I do. You know, I also wore these hideous shorts, and why I would wear those? I, I oh my god, you can't you can't yeah you can you're like jogging shorts. I'm thinking, what is wrong with you, man? A rock Everybody and roll. wore those. Yeah, day on the green, you know, and I, I wore those. I mean, I did have nice legs, guys. I will tell you that. But um, there you go. Got to show them. Yeah, up. so that's right. The choices we make, you know. Well, you, well, you, you talked about it. my hair's pulled and, back, but I would have had a perm. Yeah, Mark, Mark's Mark's getting pretty close to that. Got, you mentioned other guitar. You mentioned other guitar players, Stephen, and you you tell a great story in the book about introducing Eddie to Richie Blackmore. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Richie Blackmore. So I knew Richie was one of uh, Edward's guys. And in fact, the first time I heard Van Halen won, um, I, I was not impressed. I, I truly didn't think it was a very good record. Um, to me, it just sounded kind of like a, yeah, you know, a, a, a different version of, of, of uh, Purple. You know, it's fast kind of shuffles and those similar kinds of grooves and, you know, the vibrato bar thing. And, you, you know, I, I kind of dismissed it like that. I subsequently sat down the next day and listened to it very carefully and realized, oh my God, this is, you know, <laughs> the rewriting of the entire architecture of electric guitar. Um, but yeah. it did take me a minute to understand that. But but I did hear uh, uh, Richie and his playing early on. So uh, it's 19, God, uh, it's, it's that first or the second rainbow record. I think it's, is that 79, 80? Black uh, Rainbow was playing at Long Beach Arena, which is about you know, about 40 miles south of where I lived, where, where Edward lived in, in Long Beach. Um, um, and I had scored tickets and backstage passes. So I thought, how amazing would it be to take Edward to the show, just to see the show? And then I thought, oh, my God, Edward has never met Richie. What if I could get those two guys together? So that's my thought process. So unbeknownst to me, 
Edward had encountered Richie uh, back um, when they were still playing clubs. Um, he was in the Rainbow. Richie was there with John Bonham. Um, and these are two of the less nice people in the world. I, I, I hate to say that about John. He's gone. Oh, um, man. John could be a, a, a pretty mean person. I was out on the road with Zeppelin, and you walked real quietly when John was around. I mean, they, they told me, do not make, they really told me this, Zeppelin's people, don't make eye contact with John and never speak to him. And I thought they were goofing. Wow. I thought, okay, look, I know he could be a, an angry young man, but, you know, come on. But they were right. You, you just didn't fuck with John. Anyway, both those guys are there at the Starwood. Edward sees them. Edward's obviously a monster Zeppelin fan, you know, uh, loved Pages playing. Walks over, and Richie dismisses him hand out of foot. John insults him. I mean, some nasty things to him, you know, really nasty. I did not know this. Edward never told me this. He's at my house and he sees a picture. I have my, my walls are covered. We can see a little bit here. My walls are covered. In fact, there's, where am I? Uh, I uh, right there. That's, uh, can you guys see that picture? Um, yeah. Uh, that's Richie and me. That's 74. I'm sorry, 75 uh, with rainbow. Um, uh, anyway, um, um, there were pictures on the walls. I had interviewed Richie just a few months actually before meeting Edward, and he looks at a picture and he and he sees Richie and he doesn't say anything, you know. And I'm I, you know that he had met him. I go, oh, okay, you know. Fast forward um, tonight at the concert. Um, we drive down there, um, and uh, it was um, John Cougar. Uh, it was um, John Cougar. Randy Hansen, who is that Hendrix imitator, uh, who did an amazing job, um, uh, and Rainbow. And so we get there, and, and we miss John Cougar, um, and we expect Randy Hansen to come on, the middle act. And the lights go down, and Richie comes on. And we're going, <laughs> what the hell? And he, Richie goes through his set, and then Randy comes on and plays in the headlining spot. And I, I, I could not understand it. We go backstage afterwards to see Randy. Edward had met Randy a week before. Randy had played the whiskey. And we go back there, and, and I, I go, Randy, what the hell was that? He goes, oh, Richie was upset. He said that he couldn't follow me. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the truth. That's what Randy told me. Uh, Randy had played a couple shows. I think he played a show previously in Oakland, opening for Richie. And he said he saw Richie in a corner, you know, kind of slumped over a um, like a sink, you know, in a kind of like a defeated posture, like, oh, this Randy Hansen dude. Look, I don't know if that's true. That's Randy Hansen's story. All I do know is that I've seen a thousand rock and roll shows and I've never seen the headliner go on second. Um, so <laughs> Richie, Richie was upset about something. And all I can think about is, okay, well, we're going to an after hours party and I'm going to introduce Ed to Richie and Richie is so distraught that he didn't even go on as the headlining act. And I'm going to introduce Edward to Richie and what's going to happen. So all those things are going through my head. We go uh, to the after, after hours party, uh, after concert, which was at the Queen Mary, uh, which was, you know, which is a huge ocean liner, which back in the day was an ocean liner. Now it, it, it had been relegated to like a, um, uh, it was like a place where you, um, you would hold weddings, and they had banquet halls, and you could have parties there. Um, and the label threw a uh, uh, an after after concert party for uh, Richie, 
uh, for Rainbow. So we go and, um, you know, you, you like, you know, walk up like a little plank like you see on, um, you know, Fantasy Island. You know, you walk onto the ship, you know, and, and there's a bouncer there with a, with a clipboard. And my first thought was, maybe I'll be lucky and my name's not on the list. We'll have to turn around and drive home, you know. And then I thought, oh, my God, what a what an embarrassment that would be. You know, I'm here with Edward and he, my name's on the list. That would be worse than, you know, going in there and, and having some encounter with Richie. And indeed that happened. So my name's on the list. We go in. Um, I, Ed gets a drink. I'm looking around, you know, and I see Richie and he sees me. And again, I interviewed him just a couple of months before. And I think he kind of recognizes me. And I'm pretty positive he recognizes this guy I'm walking with. So we walk over and I go, hi, Richie, Steve Rosen from Guitar Player Magazine. How are you? You know, and kind of shakes my hand, you know, and he's kind of, you know, mad dogging Ed, you know, he's kind of looking at Ed. And I'm thinking, this is not going to be good. And sure enough, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I go, Richie, Edward Van Halen, Ed, Richie Blackmore. And Edward extends his hand, and I don't think Richie Richie shook it. And if he did, it was a cursory shake uh, at best. And and Richie looks at him, you know, and gives him that gives you that mean, sarcastic look, and goes, "I know you." And says, "You play guitar, right?" And I'm shrinking and thinking, <laughs> "Oh my God, this is not happening." And I'm looking at Ed, and I know that he's hurt. I mean, look, man, anybody would be hurt. You could be Edward Van Halen, and still be hurt you know you can be you know picasso and have uh, da vinci insult you i mean i realize i'm mixing errors here but you get the you get you get the picture but edward yeah. acted like as if it didn't matter to him i know i know it hurt him um and so we just you know we stood there and and just basically walked away and, and ed had a drink and we left and i was i was afraid to to, to bring it up you know, I didn't know if Ed was going to be pissed at me. He was going to be mad at me. And again, this whole time, I never knew that he had already met Richie. Had I known that, I never would have made that introduction. But yes, that was um, Edward meeting Richie. Um, you know, strange. Uh, <laughs> you know, Ed, Ed used to bring up Richie's name once in a while in our discussions. I never heard him bring up Richie's name again in the rest of the time that I spent with him, you know, um, mm. it's a shame. I mean, I really thought, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the young Turk, the new guard, you know, talking to the classic guy, the Strat guys, my God, they had so much in common. You know, they were on the same label. They played the same kinds of guitars. They used the same kinds of amps. They both loved the shuffle thing, you know, um, Richie just, you know, and, and I write in the book, Richie was, was never happy unless everybody around him was unhappy. And it was really true, man. I mean, he, he treated me like shit on more than one occasion, treated his band guys like shit. They couldn't deal with them anymore, uh, you know, but um, yeah. I mean, egos running wild, and <laughs> egos running wild in the in the rock community, man. That's it's yeah. the tale as old as time. Even in my you know little like local scene, it runs rampant, and it's like, yeah, what? Stop it, everyone, stop, please. But yeah, yeah. so you get as you say, uh, two personalities like that, and uh, they have so many similarities. As you pointed out, uh, he's like, oh, they should be the best of friends. Sometimes. Two personalities so similar collide, and uh, so that's that's what it sounded like. But it also sounds like Richie was kind of a prick. So Richie you know, was kind of a prick, 
And, yeah. you know, that night, for whatever reason that he didn't headline, I mean, obviously that didn't help. And, and with Richie, I mean, um, I mean, look, I'm, this is my interpretation. I, I think Richie read the writing on the wall. He saw this kid standing in front of him and thought, you know, that was me, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, you know, and, and this is the new, this is the new, a new generation. Um, look, and, and I wrote in the book, I don't want to take away anything from Richie Blackmore as a guitar player, as a songwriter, um, you know, uh, all that stuff. I mean, I, honestly, I think, um, I think he's unsung as much as we talk about Richie. I mean, you really don't hear Richie being spoken about, you know, when conversations come up with, with Hendrix or Page and Beck and Clapton and, uh, no. um, you know, Ed. I mean, Richie's never talked about it. I mean, to my mind, man, my God, those riffs that he created, that Strat sound, I mean, nobody played like him. Nobody wrote like him. And Purple were one of the biggest freaking bands in the world, man. I mean, they're one of the... I mean, they're one of the archetypes for heavy metal, right? So um, I yep. take nothing away from him on that level. Um, but um, yeah, you know, if he if he could have just let go just a little bit, you know. Um, but hey, there's a there there's go. a saying: uh, bad gas travels fast in a small town, and uh, this, the music community, I feel like, is kind of a small town, uh, especially when you achieve achieve a certain status and. I don't, maybe there's a correlation with the fact that he is who he is or was who he was. And then, um, you know, when you got such a bad reputation, it gets around people. And then suddenly nobody wants to talk about you. Nobody wants to have anything to do with you. So like maybe that the reason why his name isn't brought up more, uh, in those like guitar player conversations, maybe that has something to do with it or Maybe I'm willing to believe that story that uh, he decided I am not following Eddie Van Halen after he, after hearing him. is like, nope, not doing that. I'm willing to believe that's probably accurate because, I mean, it's it's Eddie Van Halen. And especially if you have no idea what he sounds like, who he is. And then he just at that period of time just comes out the gate, just swinging. Um, yeah, get out of the way. Get out of the way. And if, yeah. if you feel like the old guard has passed and you are a part of the old guard, then step aside for the new guard. And I get it. That's again, we're, we're talking about egos. And uh, sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of uh, uh, people, entertainers, especially. So yeah, yeah, on absolutely. one hand, yeah, on one hand, I feel you, Richie. But on the other hand, you kind of you brought it on yourself, bro. <laughs> but hey, yeah, and, you know, and you know the, the bottom line, the thing I couldn't understand is that Richie had nothing to prove to anybody. Uh, you, you know, right. like I said, I mean, you know, look, man, I mean, in rock, Machine Head, Fireball, Burn, those are some of the greatest guitar rock records I've ever heard. I, I, I mean, the, the, they were, you know, templates for everything that came afterwards. So, yeah, somehow. I don't know. Yeah, he was unnerved by that. Um, nope. Sad. You know, it, I mean, it's sad. And, you know, and then, you know, then he kind of pursued the, that Renaissance Baroque thing he does. Look, man, it's, it's his life. He can do whatever he wants. But <laughs> I, 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 I really never understood that one. And I've talked to guys who, you know, um, uh, were interviewing him. And he, and he says, up front, I will not talk about Deep Purple. And and that's something, man. If I I would talk to an artist and they and they say, well, I'm not going to talk about my old stuff. It's like, well, that's all I want to talk about because usually right. the old stuff is the cool stuff. You know, I mean, look, not all the time, <laughs> but you know, it's like uh, somebody would say that to me, and it's like, 
it, it's like my whole my, my whole mood is gone. It's like, oh my god, we really got to talk about the new record. You, you, you know, I mean, I'm being a li- I'm being a little glib about it, but but it, it happened quite a bit, you know, um, mm. where guys just were were reluctant, and which I couldn't really understand because I mean that's what they did. They, they they created that, you know. Why run from it? Look, I understand they're there to, to talk about a new record, but not to want to talk about their past at all. Is I found it Speaking, most Yeah, yeah. And speaking, I guess, from like on a, I guess on a creative side, maybe there is a lot of insecurities uh, with, with a lot of those guys who felt that way. Like, I don't want to talk about my past. We're talking about right, right now. And it's like, well, why would you just dismiss uh, uh, what you, what came before? And a lot of that probably because uh, if, if they wrote an album, previously that was just so impactful and meant a lot to people that's what people want to talk about it's like okay great um it it might have given uh, some artists the the idea that oh god i'm a one-trick pony this is what i'm going to be remembered for not what i like a continuous legacy just you know the things that i've done in the past and i mean not just for musicians like i'm sure a lot of people would feel that way about certain things so maybe maybe that comes into play or maybe just I don't know. Maybe some some dudes just kind of get sick of talking about uh, one thing all the time. I don't know, but I agree yeah. with you though. It's like you, yeah, we can talk about the new stuff, but I'd rather go back and like let's acknowledge this because maybe I have a different perspective uh, than you've heard before. And then you know, and maybe that is another thing too. We've heard it all before. It's like yes, I've talked about that album. I don't want to talk about that anymore. I won't talk about this previous band. It's like well, that previous band put you on the map so you sure you don't want to talk a little bit about it like no like all right well okay <laughs> it's like good good luck on your future endeavors but uh, it well, happens and, uh, like that to, to that point mark uh, scott uh, asked the question a while ago i didn't get in yet that uh steven already actually can't answer what was your first impression of van halen's debut album mm-hmm. uh, when you first heard it you already kind of answered that but uh what do you think about that album now like uh did it, did it grow on you over time or it, it definitely grew on me, and and I realized how how amazing the um, his guitar sound was. I mean, that was we've we've never heard anything like that, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, it didn't sound like Rich's guitar. It didn't sound like Hendrix's guitar. Uh, y- you know, um, it was it was big and and had you know it had depth to it. Um, it was overdriven, and yet you could hear the articulation in, in every single note that he played, man. And and you know that all came from from Edward. You know the other thing that made him obviously so unique. You know was building his own guitars and playing his own guitars. I mean, mm-hmm. Ed felt he really couldn't find that sound he wanted out of a Strat, right? We know this, or Les Paul. So he brings those two together. Um, uh, you, you know what the, the question I always had? Um, did he have this sound in his head? You know, did he have the brown sound in his head? And he was building an instrument to sort of um, create that sound, or did he build the build the guitar and start playing it, and then realize what the sound was? And did that point him in a direction? Oh, this is my sound. You know that I've created you know, building my own guitars and stuff, you know, I've, I've always wanted, you know, was the, the chicken or the egg first. Um, but but yeah. in, referring to the, in referring to the first record, yeah, man, that record is, uh, it's a pretty, 
unbelievable record. Um, uh, you know, it's it's that cream approach. Um, um, well, it's the cream live approach because actually on those early cream records, uh, Eric was was overdubbing rhythm rhythm tracks and stuff in their solos. Um, but you know, it's just a just a trio. Um, and 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 Ed talks about you know he didn't know that he could overdub and you know uh, all, all that stuff. And um, when they told him that he had to overdub, you know, he said, "Well, can I just play like I play live?" You know. So, you know, you hear that remarkable style, you know, not like Hendrix, but that, you know, playing the lead, the accompaniment, the rhythm thing, the little noodle fills, um, you know, all in one pass. Um, I mean, that's unbelievable. Um, you know, and listening to the record was amazing. And watching him in concert was amazing. And, you know, I had the rare opportunity of him, you know, coming over to my pad to the to little Hollywood Hills guest house, you know, and he'd pick up one of my guitars. I had a Strat um, and he'd mm -hmm. pick it up, you know, and he'd play it acoustically and he'd play me those riffs, uh, you know, um, um, not so much the first record, though, though I did ask him about some of that stuff. I asked him about the solo and you really got me in that last amazing kind of that mournful note that he hits, you know, and he plays the solo. Um, but, you know, he, he would come over and play me roughs of, of the albums before they came out, um, <clears throat> which were only, um, I'm pretty positive it was only guitar and drums. There might have been bass, but I don't think so. I know there were no vocals, and I know they were unmixed, uh, unmastered, um, and not sequenced. Um, and he'd come over and, and he'd play the cassette for me, and we'd go listen in, in his car, and he'd crank that fucker up to 11, you know, and he's got the window shut, you know, and he's smoking a cigarette, and I'm choking and gasping for breath, you know, and <laughs> the thing is fucking cranked, and my ears are bleeding, and it's unbelievable listening to all this guitar music. And then we go upstairs, and he picks up my guitar. He goes, yeah, man, that's what I did on, um, uh, you know, Bottoms Up, that's what I did on Romeo's Life, whatever. And, and you watch him from three feet away, and and the guitar isn't amplified, and you see how his fingers rest on the neck, and he's sitting on the couch, and you see how fucking long his fingers are, man, and you see the amazing way he holds a pick, and you know then he goes to the right, the the, the middle on the thumb, and he does the flutter thing, and the, the way it just so seamlessly, you know, flies between the chords, um, you know, and and. What struck me, and, and another reason why on that first record, all those notes are articulated, was his attack was really heavy. Um, mm. uh, his left hand was pretty light, uh, but his, you know, right hand, you think, oh, he was just, you know, kind of touching the strings. Man, he was digging into those strings um, really heavily. Um, uh, so, you know, you're watching that. It, it, it was just, it was just um, unbelievable. Um, that record was unbelievable, and it, um, it changed everything. You know, everybody was chasing that tone after after Edward. Um, nobody ever got it. But um, yeah, man, that was, that, was a, that was a game changer. You know, that was like the first Hendrix record. That was like, a, for me anyway, the Truth record, you know, the first Jeff Beck record, mm. um, you know, the first Zeppelin record. Um, that was, you know, things would never be the same after that one. Oh, yeah. We, we yeah. talk a lot on the show uh, about how uh, or that or rather he uh, eddie's sound is so often imitated but absolutely never duplicated because like yeah. you can't play nobody can play like him and uh and i think it's a you bring up a, a really interesting question we probably discussed it on the show in 
previous episodes but like what came first did did he have the sound in his brain and manifest it uh or did he like uh did he just find it whilst trying you know it just kind of happened and then once once he found that uh tone set him on the path i'm willing to believe probably a little bit of both maybe maybe in his brain he heard he heard the riffs he's like okay it sounds cool like that but like let me see if i can let me see if i can bring that out and then on his journey he's like whoa wait a minute ah let me let me uh turn this down let me turn this way way up aha there it is brown sound um yeah. i could be off base on that but i I like to believe just a, a little bit of both um you have a really uh intriguing chapter uh in the book called like how to play guitar like eddie van halen in one not so easy lesson <laughs> and uh you know i'll let the readers uh read it but uh can you can you um I guess give like a little small, a uh, little premise as to what uh, readers can expect with that one in particular. Right. So I, it might've been one of Edward's trips where he would just show up you know, and he'd just knock on the door. And I love when he did that, you know, he didn't call, he'd just show up, you know, and he'd come bounding in, in. Hey, man, got anything to eat, got any potato chips, you know, and of course he had this cigarette. And I also famously write in there, I was susceptible to migraines back then. And if anyone's had a migraine, they know that it's it's the worst pain in the world. And one of the worst things for a migraine, or the thing that can trigger a migraine faster than anything, is cigarette smoke. Of course. So I'm around him, and he's never without a cigarette. <laughs> Unbelievably, and all the time I was with him, I never got a migraine. But he would come in the house, you know, man, and he's smoking. And part of me wants to say, Ed, could you put this... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cigarette out or could you smoke outside? And it's like, I never said that. It's like, I, I couldn't bring myself to tell Edward Van Halen to go outside and smoke a cigarette. You know, hypocrite that I was, I, I couldn't do it, you know. So he'd be smoking, you know. He'd pick up my guitar. And um, I, had, I, I, I had two guitars. Um, pretty much most of the time, it was, I had a Strat, a 66 Strat that I write about. And I had a, um, a Les Paul Deluxe. And they were both nice guitars. I mean, I sounded like shit on them, but they were good guitars. Um, you know, so he picked it up and he starts playing, you know, and he starts doing his, you know, the tapping thing. And I'm, I'm watching him, you know, and he gets that triplet feel going, you know, and, and that's yeah. the whole key to it, you know. So something in me and and I'll be honest, you know, and I write about it. Um, you know, Edward was probably doing some lines and I was probably joining him. And, you know, I was probably fucked up. And so I might have walked over and picked up the Les Paul because that's the only way I would have done it. I mean, there's no way I would have been straight and gone to pick up the guitar and go, oh, Ed, let's jam, you know, let's play. You know, I mean, I, I, I could never do that. So I, I have the guitar in my hand um, and I'm watching him do the triplets and I'm trying to copy what he's doing. I wasn't a horrible guitar player. You know, I mean, I could play and and I 
tried as hard as I could, you know, you know, he's doing this triplet, you know, and he's doing it up and down the neck and he's changing fingers, you know, and I'm trying to do it. And I said, I said, Ed, what are you, what are you doing? And, and so he would slow it down and I try to do it. And he goes, Oh, you're doing it backwards. And I couldn't even understand what he was backwards. I, I didn't even know what that meant. I mean, I couldn't have played the thing backwards if I tried. He goes, you're doing it backwards. I go, what does that mean? He goes, well, it depends where you're counting one. And that completely befuddled me. So I just sat there, you know, kept going, you know, kept trying to do it and try to do it. And I think I did it like once or twice. And he goes, yeah, that's it. I go, yeah, I got it, didn't I? He goes, yeah, that was good. The thing with Edward was, look, man, he, he, he knew what kind of a guitar player I was, you know. Um, and he said once, oh, you're a good guitar player. You understand guitar playing. And, and, I, and I did. You know, I mean, I had bands. I was not a great guitar player. But, but I, I understood chords, you know, and I could come up with interesting chords. You know, I could play decent solos. I, I knew just enough not to be horrible. And, yeah. and, and he knew that. But, but the thing about Edward, you know, he saw how hard, and I was, man, I wanted to master that triplet. I wanted to get the feel for it the right feel. And he saw how hard I was trying. And that meant a lot to him. And when I finally got it, he rewarded me. He knew, I mean, I think he knew that, you know, by him saying, yeah, man, that was it. That was good. What that would mean to me, what that would mean to any guitar player. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Any of you guys, I mean, any guitar yeah. player sitting in the room, everybody goes, yeah, that's good. My God. That would be everything. Uh, th there was a lot of the teacher in, in Edward, you know, he could have said, oh, man, that's wrong. You know, you're doing it wrong. That, you know, don't do that. I, I mean, I would have shriveled up. You know, I would have put the guitar back in the in the stand and, and, and just sat there. I, I mean, it would have been humiliating, would have been crushing. But he never, ever did that, ever. Um, you know, he, he, he encouraged me. And I think he encouraged the people around him as well. Um, he respected the fact that I tried as hard as I could to get it right. The fact that I yeah. couldn't get it right, it, it really made no difference to him. With Edward, and I write about this, it, it was always about respect. And if he felt he was being disrespected, that was like the f worst thing you could do. You know, you say, Ed, that was a shitty solo, or Ed, you know, you didn't play very well that night. Yeah, he, he was probably a bit upset, but okay. But if you disrespected him, if, if you made it feel like... Um, you were disrespecting his art or, or you didn't care enough or you weren't working hard enough that that upset him and specifically and i don't want to get into it because i write about it but you know sometimes the other guys in the band didn't bring to the music what he felt they should be bringing and to ed that translated as disrespect and it had nothing to do with those guys as musicians, um, as singers or bass players, I had nothing to do with that. It was the fact that, that they didn't, they weren't trying hard enough. And, and to Edward, mm -hmm. that, that was, that was, there was no excuse for that. Um, and um, disrespect Edward and he never forgot it. So um, yeah, it, with Edward, that was, that was everything. Um, but on the other side of that, he always rewarded that, you know, um, and he'd say nice things and he'd be complimentary and supportive and he wanted to push you, man. He wanted you to be a better player. So, um, yeah, he was, he was a dichotomy in a lot of ways. Um, 
but yeah, you know, trying to play Edward, trying to play guitar like Ed in one lesson. Yeah, I, I almost got it. You know? uh, Ten thousand more lessons that I might have had. Uh, you know, the the triplet thing down. Yeah. It sounds to me like he had his own uh, method of playing and counting. So like that's it's kudos to you for like keeping up and then uh, him actually going like, yeah, that's it. You're good. Uh, because that, it's like if you were able to somehow figure out his his method and, and his, his system like that's that's not an easy feat. So, uh, you know, whatever you did, kudos. Uh, yeah, our buddy, our buddy Tom uh, asks. Uh, you mentioned a two-hour interview with Michael Anthony during the 5150 tour. Did they talk off the record about Eddie's feelings about his sound or playing? Honestly, Tom, it's, it's hard to remember. Um, I don't think so because I was really um, – that was an interview for what was going to be the original book. Um, so this mm. is like – like 85, 86, you know, um, I had approached Edward. I, I said, Edward, I want to write your life story. He said, yes, you can write my life story. So I started interviewing, um, you know, all kinds of people, his friends, bandmates, you know, uh, guys he'd been in bands with earlier, <coughs> excuse me, guys who were promoting, uh, you know, local passing in the shows, um, everybody I could find really uh, that I thought had something important to say. And of course I wanted to sit down with Michael. So we said over the course of, of two days, you know, we talked for a couple hours. It was more about Michael's participation, really. Um, uh, he did actually talk a little bit about, um, you know, recording with Ed and how it was really challenging playing some of the bass parts with Ed, you know, because his timing on stuff was so weird. But I can't really remember, you know, talking about Ed's, you know, guitar sound or, or how he created it. Um, I mean, it, it might have been there. I can't remember. I, I just put up a um, the first part of an interview with Zeke Clark, uh, and that's pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty an, a pretty in-depth dive uh, into Edward's gear um, at the time, um, and that might you know answer some of your questions and and help you you know decode how Ed was maybe getting some of those sounds and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Right on. Uh you speak about, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the book is called Tone Chaser, and for good reason. Um, is there a particular, and maybe this is an unfair question, but I'll ask it anyway. Is there a particular uh, album where you think, uh, ah, that right there to me in my brain is the quintessential tone slash, you know, sound of Eddie Van Halen, like true to its core? Uh, is there a particular album that stands out where you're like, that's the one? I'm, I'm sure most people would probably answer the first or second records. I'm guessing. Um, probably. And those are remarkable records. Um, you know, um, to digress peripherally just for a minute, I can tell you that Edward was happiest uh, on those first two records, those first two tours. It was all new to him. Um, you know, he was this kid who'd gone playing the whiskey and to, you know, going on a tour with Sabbath and, and Journey and then playing the day on the green show, which is where that picture of me with the haircut and the shorts came from, you know. Uh, so, I mean, it was all new to him and, and he was he was happy back then. And, and it's reflected in his playing. I mean, his playing is just, you know, 
so full of life on those records and 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 his playing is is amazing in answer to your question um mark uh fair warning um mm-hmm. I, you know edward finally has the time um to uh really explore the guitar and what it can do on record so we hear multiple layers of guitars multi-tracking um it had never been that deep before at all um you know little noodle lines that would come in over a second verse to build a verse um you know his solos i i just thought they were just unbelievable um um yeah to me that was definitive van halen um you know i i characterized it you know when ed and i were talking in one of the interviews i can't remember which one um and I said, Ed, you know, where were you? An, were you an angry young man that day? You recorded, you know, it was a particular solo. And he goes, and he laughed. I mean, laughed in a in a, in a good way. He goes, Why would you say that? Why? And that, that, that solo sounds really angry. He goes, No, I I don't think so. You know, um, you know, a lot of people typify the album as dark. I mean, it was. I mean, we all have that sense of. It. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. there was that that certain esprit that Van Halen had, but but that was a pretty dark record. You know, a lot of a lot of minor sounding riffs and you know that kind of thing. Um, yeah, his playing was just amazing, man. And 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 we really hear Edward as orchestrator and arranger mm-hmm. and, and 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 you know putting the parts over each other and the way he would build his verses. You know, and it might just be some little accent he would do. You know, in one of his fills. I mean, that is really sophisticated songwriting in my mind. I mean, that's right. Like, unbelievable you know and i think with that it was just um yeah it was a sense uh you know I, I mean i don't know if he was consciously thinking how can i build the second verse but but i think you know part of his brain was thinking about that you know he knew there was going to be a vocal going over it and he wanted you know the, the the momentum to to build in the song um you know pretty unbelievable you know and he also told me he never worked as hard on any record as he did on that one he got really sick wow. i mean I mean, really sick. Um, he lost, uh, he said, like 40 pounds. He was down to like 120 pounds. Um, he said he developed an ulcer. Um, and he said he, he, he had to take Maalox for it. And when he told me that, I, I kind of chuckled. Not that he had an ulcer. But my brother, um, uh, if, you, if, if you get upset stomach a lot, um, Maalox is one of these things that you take it it's like you know drinking chalk you know so i knew about it and i only chuckled because my brother had it by the box full. i mean my brother used to take that stuff because he'd get like a stomach and you know um that's why i chuckled and ed said no man you don't believe me go 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 talk to the doctor you know like and that was it was so strange like i would laugh because he told me he had an also it was strange you know sometimes his reactions I, I had to really sometimes be careful how I how I reacted or or what I said to him, you know, or if he said something, you know, a lot of times and I recognize this as a trait that I've done since I started doing interviews back in 1973. I have like this weird nervous chuckle, and it's not me laughing because somebody has necessarily said something funny. But I'm laughing because it's me being so fucking nervous. It's like that's my defense thing. Yeah. Oh, oh, you you, you use a Fender Fender heavies. Oh, you know. Oh, you play a strap. Oh, you know. And and sometimes I would do that, and he, and he'd go, No, really, I'm serious. 
when I wasn't laughing at anything he said, I was laughing because of the nerves, you know. So, it, mm. you know, it was kind of this tightrope walking thing uh, a lot of times with Edward. I mean, it, it really was. Um, oh, sure. You don't want to be like misinterpreted or you, you don't want him misinterpreting like what, what you're saying or like yeah. the laugh as in like you're laughing at you and like, no, 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 I'm laughing. I'm, la- I'm laughing with you technically, even though you're not laughing, but this is, this is just yeah. a tick. It's a tick. It's not, has nothing to do with what yeah. you're saying. I promise. I get that. I get that for sure. So yeah, now, uh, it's, we should mention, yeah, we, we should mention uh, the book one more time. Tone chaser uh, yeah. by Steve Rosen. Uh, you can get your copy at tonechaserbook.com and wherever you, uh, you get your books from uh, Steven, as we're, as we're kind of winding down here, uh, our time here tonight, um, I, I wanted you to just talk a little bit about how, this project kind of changed for you because originally in the mid eighties, you approached Edward about doing his uh, authorized uh, biography. And then, uh, you know, th- that kind of fell by the wayside in the nineties. Then obviously that, that changed uh, in 2000. Maybe, maybe just talk about the, the shift that this project took for you. Right, exactly. So uh, I approached Edward, Edward, I want to write your life story. He says, yes, I start working on it. I probably worked on it for about a good three years. Um, and I, you know, we're trying to get Edward, to, to sit down, even though I interviewed him a fair amount, it was always, it was more the, um, you know, the guitar centric interviews, you know, for guitar world, or I was writing for, uh, some Japanese magazines, player magazine, um, you know, Edward was God in Japan. They wanted stories. Or I was also writing for European magazines. So it was more, you know, based around guitars and, and, and that kind of thing. I wanted to sit down with Ed and talk about his family and what was it like growing up in, um, the Netherlands and, you know, were you a good student? You know, I mean, did you read any books, Edward? Why did you start smoking when you were 13? Um, you know, you know, um, uh, did you go and hang out with your dad when he was playing? And, you know, who were your friends? And did you ride a bicycle? I mean, uh, all these questions, you, you know, that, that we'll never know now. We'll never have answers. I mean, really, the only one who knows the answers to that really is um, probably Alex. I mean, unless he has some relatives, um, you know, back in Europe, and they must be very old by now. Anyway, so my friendship with Edward ends in 2003. Um, I was angry, you know. Um, I, I, I don't want to go into details. I, I don't want to give, give away the ending of the book, but I was mad. So for a lot of years, I, 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 I really didn't think about him, or I tried not to think about him. Um, but the years would go by, and... You know, I hear that, you know, Ben Halen came out the record or they were touring again with Dave, which I found just absolutely impossible to believe. And if you read the book, you'll understand why I think that way. Um, um, and, you know, off and on, I would I would think about that book that never happened, um, which I always looked on as a failure uh, on my part. I, I thought that book should have happened. I knew how important that book was going to be, um, but I could never quite make it happen. Uh, so the years go by. Um, in uh, uh, 2020, um, I, I guess I've been thinking about it more seriously. Um, some friends said, man, you know, you, you should write that book. You should write a book. Why don't you write the book about Edward? And honestly, there were several things that, that stopped me. One, I knew how much unbelievable work it was going to be. And, you know, I, 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 it was a daunting task. Um, two, maybe there was still a part of me that 
you know, I still have this bad taste in my mouth. You know, I don't want to write a book about Edward Van Halen. And three, and probably more, more poignantly, I honestly didn't know if I was able or capable of writing the great book about Edward that I wanted it to be. I wanted to write a book that was where the words were as as great as Edward was a guitar player. You know what I mean? I, I wanted the mm-hmm. words to dance off the page. I wanted it to be an, an incredible book. I mean, all authors want that, but this had to be an amazing book. It had to it had to live up to who this person was. And I didn't yeah. know if I was capable of doing that, you know, either, either as a journalist, um, you know, um, uh, my memories, you know, by then we're talking 40 plus years later. So anyway, I sit down, um, it's August 24th. And I remember the date because it was my birthday and maybe it was specifically on that day. I sit down and, and I start typing and I, I had a vague notion in my head, you know, it was going to be something about Edward. I, I, I didn't really know. And I'm writing, I'm writing. And what came out was sort of that first paragraph that, that you read in the intro. And I looked at it, and I go, wow, that's, that's not bad. That, that's cool. I've never read anything like that. You know, that's different. And the next morning I would come in and my cat, Arpeggio, who I write about in the book, yeah. would wake me up at three o'clock in the morning. And instead of trying to go back to sleep, I'd go into my little office and I'd write. So from three in the morning or two in the morning until like eight or nine, when the sun was up, I would write. And I did that every day. And slowly, you know, the, the voice, I could find the voice, you know, this voice that I was looking for. Um, and, and the chapters would come together and I was listening to the cassettes. And those were amazing to hear again for the first time, literally, in, you know, decades. I had never listened to them um, since the one and only time I'd listened to them, some of them, uh, when I was writing the original interviews back in the day. Um, So I I hadn't heard them, and I'm listening to them. I go, oh, my God, that's right. Ed came over that day, and, um, yeah, that's when he was playing me the songs off the third record. And, yeah, man, you know, he smoked, and I gave him some potato chips, or I gave him a Slender Bar or something, and, you know, I hear all this stuff and all these memories come back. Um, so in a long answer uh, to a short question, Corey, yeah, man, um, it, it just sort of, you know, 17 years later, it, it was there and it was kind of gnawing at me. And as much as anything, I knew that if I did not write this book, that I would have really disappointed myself. I would have thought, you mm. fucking chicken shit, you know? You didn't even make the attempt, you know, maybe you had written it and nobody reads it. Okay. But at least you could say you, you, you tried, you know? Um, so if I hadn't done that, you know, I think about it now, I go, wow. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been pathetic. Honestly, again, you know, people have read it and hopefully they've gotten some joy out of it, you know? And I think maybe none of those people would have read it. And, and, you know, if they've learned something about it, they wouldn't have learned anything if the book had to happen, you know, and, you know, I don't know, maybe these are selfish reasons, but for all these different reasons, I, you know, I sat down and did it and it was hard. It was really hard, uh, you know, and, and 14 months later it was, it was done. And I thought I'd written a good book. I thought I'd written a really good book, but I didn't know, right. You write a song, you're a great songwriter. You're staying in your bedroom, right. until you hear somebody else hears it and go, Oh, that's not a very good song, Mark. You know, write something up. You know what I mean? So, you know, 
Oh, I've heard that many times before. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, um, it it was a different book and I recognized that. I thought it's the best book I could have written, you know, so thank goodness. What a a daunting task, though. I mean, like you you, you nailed it when you said uh, like it had to be something that was going to be fantastic, you know, to live up to Eddie's standards. And yeah, that's like that. That is a. if I'm a writer, that's going through my brain the whole time. Like it's just like, how do I possibly put into words, uh, you know, wh- what the, who this person is, like who it means to me, you know, uh, correlate uh, the the music, the personification. Like, how do I do that? How do I make that happen? I could, I, but I got to tell you, as 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 daunting of a task as I'm sure it was, and as you say, like it went through different uh, iterations and everything until finally to- ch- Tone Chaser. Uh, is your final product. I think this is exactly the kind of story that uh, you were supposed to tell. Again, we'll bring it back to uh, like things happen for a reason. Like, yeah, here's the reason. Like you, you didn't write uh, the, the autobiography, like uh, intended the life story as it were as intended because you weren't supposed to write it that way. Not like that. You were supposed to write it like tone chaser. And I mean, because like this, it just feels so personal and it feels, um, it's almost like, uh, at least for me, when I'm when I was reading it, is I feel like uh, almost like a voyeur just in the room while you guys, uh, especially. I really love that uh, that guitar lesson chapter. I really do. Just, just like because you just like you really you go through like so many details that I didn't even realize. Like, do I need to read this? Like, no, I do. I do need to read. I need to just like I need to take all this in, and it just made me feel like such like to be a fly on the wall just for that interaction alone. But I mean, just but through, for all of it, for all of it. And you just, uh, and it helps because you knew the man, you knew the man personally and, uh, for so many years and it really, it really does come through in the writing. Um, so just, just so as you know, it's like, I think, I think very much so, uh, in spite of where you were at the time, uh, as opposed to like, like, no, I'm not going to write the book for m- my reasons here. Um, I think, you're right. You, you, it would have plagued you. I think it would have plagued you to like, why didn't I just do it? Um, but, and you didn't do it because you had to write it this way. So I think, I think it's a humongous kudos to uh, the way the narrative uh, is presented through tone chaser. And I'm glad, I'm glad that uh, you took a step back and you took the time that you needed to, to take in order to tell the story in this particular way. So just to throw that out there. Um, but before we go, and then uh, before we let you go, Scott Monroe says, regarding Van Halen's split with David Lee Roth, do you think Ted Templeman, or do you think as Ted Templeman did, that Van Halen was not uh, Van Halen without David Lee Roth fronting? Or do you think the Sammy era was an important part of Eddie and the band's growth? And Scott stepping on my toes because I was going to, I was going to finish out this uh this talk with uh which camp are you because we have to ask because we get attacked from uh people that don't even like the show but they want to you know chime in and be like it's david lee roth or it's not van halen just you know fuck off i'm like okay um so where do you stand on that there see well mark um i am going to incur the wrath uh every um and I write about it in the book, and, and I'm pretty honest about it. I recognize Dave's importance in that band. Without Dave, there is a Halen, right? Edward wasn't going right. to sing. Edward didn't have that kind of 
outsized ego. Um, uh, Edward needed uh, Edward needed Dave. I was simply never a fan of Dave singing, and <laughs> you know, man, that just comes from a place. And again, I write about it in the book. You, you know, I grew up listening to, you know, singer. I mean, I was listening to Rod Stewart and Jack Bruce and Roger Daltrey and Gary Brooker from Procol Harum, um, Paul Rogers. Um, you know, those are the singers I was listening to. And, and Dave was just out of my bailiwick. You know, I, I just, it just didn't, it, it didn't sit right with me. So I was never a fan of Dave's singing. Um, and to be honest, I think that Sammy was technically a better singer, but I was never a fan of Sammy singing. I love the oh, first, no. <laughs> a double no. I love the first Montrose record. Um, and I, I think that's the best singing Sammy ever did. Um, so yes, man, uh, you know, I'm going to have my, my face burned in effigy by the David fans and the Sammy <laughs> fans. Um, I, I don't know. I, Look, I can't argue with the success of the band with either singer. Um, you know, the purist is always going to say was the David Lee Roth era, those first six records. I understand that. Um, you, you know, uh, I mean, Sammy allowed Edward be to become um, a, a more expansive songwriter. You know, his range was bigger, right? There's more keyboards coming in. Uh, the changes are getting a little bit more complex. Um, you know, if you can write those kinds of changes because Sammy can sing over those changes. I, I just never thought they matched up to Edward's guitar playing and his writing. Mm. Sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Personal, you know, Fair Michael is a wonderful guy. And, you know, I, I'd love to send him a book. I'm sure he, you know, is mad at me. And, you know, Dave, you know, I, you know, I could have lied about it. I didn't want to lie about it. Um, in the same <laughs> way I said that Jeff Beck, was my favorite guitar player. Edward was certainly in the top five, but Jeff was my favorite guitar player because that's what I grew up listening to. I saw Jeff that group right. at the Shrine, you know, with Rod Stewart. That was mind-blowing to me. And the truth in the Beckola record. So that's what I was listening to. That's what I was measuring stuff by. And so when I heard that first Van Halen record, I'm thinking, okay, uh, you know, uh, Wheels of Fire, Truth, First Zeppelin record, um, you know, uh, uh, Salty Dog by Procol Harum, you know, Free at Last. I mean, that's my yardstick, man. That's where I sit, you, you know, and, and you had better, if you didn't reach it, then, okay, you're, you're, you're not as good as them. So, you know, that snob thing again, you know, it took a minute to understand that Edward was you know, on the other side of all of that, he was creating this new yardstick for everything to be measured against. But um, yeah, that was my feelings about, you know, uh, uh, Dave and, and Sammy. And sorry, guys, don't be angry. Don't you trash the <laughs> Oh, no. You and I you, will you, be on that and on that island together because I have heard I it here first. It. Yeah, I've been saying it since day one of this show and I have been attacked mercilessly for it i have always maintained while i love david lee roth and the contributions obviously you don't give in halen without him i have always maintained sammy hagar is the better 
uh, technical singer, the bigger, better vocalist. In our journey, I don't. I, I might have at one point said uh, he probably writes better songs, but in our journey so far through Van Halen, like I don't know, like he he has he's written some real bad ones too. Uh, doesn't diminish his uh, his vocal ability at all. Um, no. But I've always maintained. I was like, look, Dave can be the front man that you all imagine in your mind when you think about Van Halen. However, when it comes to uh, every position from a technicality standpoint vocals wise you cannot touch sammy like dave can't touch sammy gary can't touch sammy like it's sammy um but i will agree with you though he he, uh was he better in montrose is like well it's hard for me to say yes even though it's probably technically true it's hard for me to say yes just because like sammy hair uh the sammy era of van halen is like so uh uh personal to me but it is what it is um and again and i have to point this out every time i'm not dissing david lee roth you guys i'm not so calm down and and steve is not dissing david lee roth he's just saying eh, it's sammy was the better singer uh, so. and, and it's strange i'm sorry to interrupt real, real quick no no go ahead so so you know so it's uh david's left the band and um edward's looking for a singer um uh he uh he, he leaves a phone. He leaves a phone message. I wasn't home. Why wasn't I home? Um, hey, Steve. Uh, you know, um, uh, Sammy's um, voice to my music. You know, y- you won't believe it. He was really excited about Sammy coming in the band. However, he said to me, he thought he, which I couldn't understand. He hated Sammy's writing, and I thought he was talking about something. Somebody else. I go, oh, who's that? Go, Sammy. He goes, I, I hate his writing. He says, he writes these songs. And he's talking about Sammy's solo, you know, his solo stuff. Um, mm-hmm. He says, he writes these songs, he says, and his arrangements are so weird. Um, he says, but I like his singing. But he didn't like his writing, which I can never understand because Sammy's coming into the band <laughs> as a songwriter and a singer. But but he never was a, a fan of Sammy's writing. Um, and neither was I. I mean, there's something about... You know, Sammy, God, Sammy, if you hear this, man, I, you've always been great with me. And there was just something about Sammy's solo stuff. It was always a little pretentious. I, I, I don't know, man. It, it just didn't. I, I, I don't know what it was. I, sh- I shouldn't be saying those things. Look, man, the guy's a good <laughs> guy. You know, he made a shitload of money. He, you know, he sold tequila. He's got his own club. He's famous. Well, you know, my comments mean nothing, you know. So I don't know. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he'll take it in stride. And, you know, it's like, but look, and you'll not hear a, a huge uh, argument out of Corey and myself when in, ter- in terms of uh, Sammy's writing, like I alluded to uh, during this journey, this rediscovery, if you will, really analyzing some of their uh, songwriting structure. And, and with Sammy, when he when he nails it, he nails it. But then he has a few duds just with his with his uh not his vocal ability but his lyrics his lyrics especially like i won't even mention them just because i don't want to give Corey the satisfaction but (laughs) there's there's a few there's a few that are just not not great and i have to imagine if eddie had even said way back then like his writing's weird i don't like it he was probably uh not crazy about some of the the duds i'm thinking about here so that's just a funny caveat but um 
but winding down you guys those are just but but a tip of the iceberg when it comes to the stories that uh steve uh tells in this book tone chaser uh steve thank you so much for sending us the book thank you so much for joining us talking about it sharing your experience with uh with eddie uh with the world now uh with this book uh only time will tell if we stand the test of time. <laughs> you love that line, Scott. You love it. Don't that's that's your Twitter bio. Don't lie. Anyway, uh, <laughs> as I was saying, uh, you guys really need uh, all of our listeners, uh, despite what camp they are. If they're on the uh, the the Roth camp or the Sammy camp, we are all on the camp of Eddie Van Halen, and uh, they would be very very curious to very very interested to hear and to read all of the uh the interactions that you had with eddie the stories that you have to tell it's a must for you guys who are very big eddie van halen fans so uh steve before we let you go please tell the people where they can find the book and then uh what 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 else you got going on anything else you want to plug so you can find the book um on my site tonechaserbook.com you can also find it on Amazon, eBay, Reverb, and Etsy. So if anybody's out there on Etsy looking for a purse, go check out my book. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I would ask one thing of you guys. If you guys could yes. leave a review on Amazon, that would be fabulous. Amazon loves that kind of stuff. And Yes, they do. A Done. good review would be fantastic. And what else is going on? Um, I did a music project. Um, oh, thanks very much, Scott. Thank you very much, Tom. Um, I did a music project called uh, uh, Highway Sentinels. Um, David Reese is the vocalist. David used to be in uh, a Latter-day version of Accept. Um, and mm -hmm. I called on some guitar player buddies of mine uh, to do solos on these songs that I wrote with my friend Jimmy Waldo. Jimmy was the keyboard player and founder of Alcatraz. Um, and we'd written songs sort of way back in the day. We sort of updated them and and i brought in some guitar players to kind of put some solos on there so uh joe satriani plays a solo um uh, bumblefoot uh, uh tracy guns paul gilbert um uh matt heathy joe stump um uh, larry flintz from a band called riot an amazing guitar player and i play a guitar solo on one song it's like there's no way i'm not playing a solo on my song on an album with these guys. And so, you know, I played this solo. It was a good solo. It was more like a, like a David Gilmore, you know, like a couple held notes, you know, like I'm going to try and, you know, battle these monsters, you know, but I, I sent each of them letters, you know, saying, guys, look, I, you know, Joe, Paul, you know, Tracy, look, man, I, I also did a solo, but, but, but don't worry guys, you know, don't be too jealous. I, you know, I try not to bring my A game. So, I won't blow it away too bad, you know. <laughs> they thought that was humorous. Very anyway, the Highway Sentinels thing, you know, if you guys want to check check it out, it's up on YouTube. You can um, listen to the songs. Um, I sell collectible guitar picks on eBay. If anybody needs, uh, you know, Metallica picks or Linkin Park or, um, you know, Motley Crue picks, uh, I sell those on eBay. And, uh, yeah, man, it's all good. Um the the, the sec, excuse me the second edition of the book has been going fantastically, and I'm just so happy, man, and and really, man, you know, the response from everybody has just been more than I could have asked for, and I'm I'm thankful that everybody has read it and and really gotten so much out of it. You know, that's that that that's all I could have asked for. So, 
Well, the effort shows, like I said, yeah, no, thank thank you so much. And uh, I, I honestly can't wait to dive back into it, uh, you know, because it's just there's so many cool little excerpts. And if you're a music nerd like we are, then you're all going to love it. So please pick up Tone Chaser. Uh, if you get it on Amazon, leave a review. I'm going to go do that here in just a few minutes. So um, there it is. Steve Rosen, everybody. Thank you much, so much. Uh, Corey. Let the people know. Actually, before you do that, I'm going to do uh, a rundown of our patrons. You guys, we have a Patreon. Uh, you know that. I talk about it all the time because I want you guys to join us because look at all the fun stuff you can do. You can lurk as we record. You throw in questions on the fly in real time. You can be involved, like see us, uh, see behind the curtain before it's all edited and stuff. You can just join in on the conversation. Join us for our live shows. And hey, if there's a tier that we uh, we don't have, and you would really like us to have uh, some sort of tier about something, we can make it happen. We'll, we'll find a way to make it happen. Uh, so absolutely, yes, within reason for sure, but uh, absolutely, we'll make it happen for you. So uh, just to go on our list of patrons, to send a big old thank you to Matt Lacoste, Nate from the Deep Purple Podcast, Rave Flave, Josh Caldwell, Greg Zito, Michael Griffith, Chaz Charles, Sean McGinnity, Kevin Brown, Per Lineker, Scott Monroe, Ryan Powell, Jeff Brewer, Ben Andriozzi, Tom Armbruster, Scott Everett, Keith McCoy, Janice Risco, and Brad Gould. Thank you guys so much for uh, helping us keep the lights on, keep the show going, and thank you all for your patience. I know you all have uh, have missed the wheel, but it's coming back very, very soon. But before that, make sure to tune into this episode. Uh, Corey, where else can people find uh, the things that going on with us and with other like minded podcasts well you can find us at www.podcastlerock.com catch up on old episodes as mark alluded to we're going through the entire van halen catalog one song at a time we got about 27 songs left on the wheel uh, before we finish uh, the van halen catalog uh, so you can check out all the old shows there you can pick up some merch uh, and uh, please uh, check out our friends at the deep dive podcast network uh, uh, com. get a lot of uh, uh, like-minded shows including a, a deep purple show the deep purple podcast is part of that group uh, scott haskin does a great show too on uh, your right heap a uh, lot a lot of great stuff out there a good friend kevin brown does a queen show uh, I do an Aerosmith show on there as well, and uh, I'm really tempted to start a ZZ Top show. And Steve, I know you're you're kind of a Billy Gibbons fan. Uh, any chance we can convince you to write a Billy Gibbons biography in the near future? <laughs> I don't know about a Billy Gibbons biography, but I could certainly regale you with some Z Billy Gibbons stories. Ooh, <laughs> save those stories and uh, get look. We joke all the time, but it's only kind of a joke. Corey is just going to take over. He has like five podcasts right now, and he's just taking over all of the podcasting airwaves one at a time until it's all just his own universe. So uh, oh. that's easy. Top show will happen. So you should expect an email from Corey. And we're like, all right, come on to the show and talk about the ZZ top stories. <laughs> so I'm just saying, don't be shocked. <laughs> Anytime, man. Perfect. Uh, Tom, I'm going to give him the last question here. He asks, uh, hey, Steve, when was the last time you listened to that jam you did with Edward on bass? You know, Tom, I actually listened to that uh, a couple days ago. Um, it was pretty unbelievable. Um, I wish I had been more um, adventurous, you know, but uh, I, I think you can understand the situation. You know, you're sitting there, Edward's playing bass, you're playing one of his strats. 
you know, it's everything I can do to remember how to hold the fucking dick in my hand, you know, um, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and I played this riff, um, um, that, I, that I had been messing with, you know, I was a songwriter and, you know, I, I, you know, he's sitting there, you know, I'm thinking, come on, Rosen, play something, play something, you know, and I start playing this riff and instantly Edward jumps on it, you know, and he gets it. And within a few minutes, you can hear, I could hear, I could sense um, Edward's approach, uh, how he, how, you know, a, a sliver, how he approaches um, his songs, you know, and how he would, you know, uh, first he would kind of follow the changes I was doing. They're very simple changes, but it was a cool little riff. And then he'd kind of go outside, you know, and then he'd look for like B sections. And I could see, you know, that Van Halen brain working, um, you know, uh, a little bit. And that was unbelievable. But I did listen to that the other day. And, um, yeah, that was the other time, you know, we, we got done and Edward, you know, reaches into the cassette player uh, that's running and, you know, flips the little lid and, and hands me the tape. Uh, again, because he knew what it would mean to me. Um, and on the other side of that, Edward recorded every single thing he ever did. There was always a cassette player going. Um, I would be up at the house, in the house, not 5150, in the house, and literally there were cardboard boxes. I'm telling you, there must have been certainly hundreds and maybe thousands of cassettes uh, of him just noodling and noodling. And then later on, you know, uh, he gets 5150, and then there's all the multi-track. Uh, recordings he has, you know, and, and they're in the Van Halen vault, which I was never in. I never saw that. But there yeah. are, you know, how many untold hours of stuff in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was pretty amazing hearing that again. Um, you know, uh, wish I'd been a better guitar player. I mean, that that's all <laughs> I can say. It, it was pretty amazing and just, you know, being there with him and, and again, him being so encouraging and you know, him kind of, you know, he'd look up and give me the smile and be like, oh, my God, you know, you know. What more could you possibly ask for, you know? No, no more, nothing more. That that was it. Yeah. <laughs> we all should strive. <laughs> yeah, I think if I'd been like an amazing guitar player, then maybe, it would, you know, the dynamic would have been different. Look, I, I mean, probably not. But, you know, I mean, if I, you know, if, if I tried, if with George Lynch, I mean, it would have been different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I wish I could play like George Lynch, of course, but you know, it was amazing. It was amazing, Tom. And in response to your uh, question, it was amazing hearing it again, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So with that being said, yeah, uh, tune into uh, the Deep Dive Podcasting Network. We got all sorts of rock and roll based shows. Uh, and if you don't hear a band that you love, I guarantee you a show is on the way. Uh, Corey will make it happen. It's all going to be part of the Corey Morissette podcasting universe before right. we're all done for by the, I mean, he's going to have, he needs something else to do once the Van Halen show uh, <laughs> reaches its climax. So uh, it's, it's basically the ball is in his court, uh, but check out all the other amazing shows. We have all of our great friends at deep dive podcasting network, triple W podcastwillrock.com to uh, catch up on old episodes of us. Check out our merch store, buy yourself a t-shirt. Uh, thank you, Kevin Brown for all of your designs. And uh, on behalf of Steve Rosen, go get tone chaser on behalf of Corey Morissette. I am Mark Kamire and we are, and the podcast will rock and we will rock you later.
when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.